You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Huzzah! Alan Seiler. Yo! And Veronica Daschle. Hi! And do we have some news items this week, Alan? Uh, we do have a f- couple of things. Um, the first one uh, is actually coming up in a couple of weeks, and that is the premiere the first two-part episode of uh, Nickelodeon's Star Trek Prodigy will be airing finally on Nickelodeon mm. on December 17th. Woo-hoo. Yeah. So, so far, it doesn't look like this is the first, you like the whole five episode, half of the season that we got on Paramount Plus, but it is the first two-parter as one big blob, like we got it on Paramount Plus. So yeah. it looks like it's just that as a like a, a lead in, like a teaser. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't think there's been any mention of it. December 17th would put it right about in time for the second half of the season to start airing in uh, on January 6th with um, on Paramount Plus with mm. the Nickelodeon episodes being a week or two behind. So it's likely that it is more than just that first two-parter. But so far, there hasn't been any mention of anything beyond um, the pilot. It's a very strange release schedule. It really is the whole thing. Yeah. Like, why don't they want this show to succeed? Yeah. Just like make the season and then put it out. It, <laughs> They're making it. As like we've got five ready. Possible. Okay. Air them. But we don't have any more yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And uh, the other, the only other uh, actual news item that I have is from a couple of weeks ago, but I don't think we've actually reported on it here. And it's not really Star Trek. It's Trek adjacent. And that is, uh, <laughs> I love that term. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and that is that LeVar Burton, uh, as we know from this past year, had made a bid toward uh, gaining the permanent host position of Jeopardy. And that didn't happen. Um, it's now this, the current season that's airing, um, is being done by uh, Ken Jennings and um, Mayim Bialik. So, yeah, so the current season is being hosted first by Mayim Bialik, who I think her her time is is done, and now Ken Jennings, um, and he'll be hosting the upcoming tournaments and stuff. But LeVar did land a game show hosting gig, and he is uh, the host and executive producer of a televised version of Trivial Pursuit. That's cool. awesome. So that's kind of cool. Now, is... Is that is, an, is that an existing show or is this a brand new show? New show. That seems better to me. Agreed. He's Agreed. not following anybody's shoes. He's he's just the host right. of a show. Right. And right. it's a, an established name like Trivial Pursuit. Hey, who doesn't love Trivial Pursuit? Yeah. Right. And plus, you know, the the board game has done so many like themed releases. It's not just that original board game. So they can they can do anything with this game show. Yeah. So I think it's pretty exciting. I'm really glad to see that. And I'm not sure when it's going to be uh, debuting, but I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. When he was um, when he was not selected for Jeopardy, what happened is a lot of people, as you, you all know, 
rightly or wrongly, almost took it personally as if he was done wrong. Some people really felt he was well, done wrong. I mean, okay, first of all, everybody got two weeks except right. for the like the last two guest hosts right. that were booked. He was the first one that only got one week. Exactly. His one week happened right in the middle of the Olympics and most yes. of the which NBC was covering. And right. most of the most of the airings on local channels got preempted. So uh-huh. nobody saw him, you know? So yeah, he did get kind of done dirty. Hmm. Yeah. And so I think so what happened was because of that, and because he was so beloved, then a whole bunch of people came forward. Yeah. Uh, the, the famous film director, producer Ava DuVernay was like, look, I'm going to create a game show for you. I don't care what. So yeah. it, was, it was an interesting fallout because he was going to get a game show at that point. Right um, on. I mean, I mean, he's such a wonderful person and such a, an amazing personality. He's a natural for this kind of thing. So oh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing how this goes. Mm-hmm. All right, that's that's the news. We have wrapped it up. All right. Well, Keith, did you have some this week in Trek for us this week? I do. Got two or three items here for you uh, that took place uh, this week in Trek history. Going way back in time, we got a birth date on the first of November, nineteen twenty-eight. I'll give you a clue, which I guarantee you won't guess. Um, He was the first choice for Doctor Boyce in the original pilot of Star Trek, the original series. Hmm. Did you I say know, November like, or December? December first, nineteen twenty-eight. Oh, okay, I know things. Um, can we can <laughs> we pause? Can we pause for just a second? I just have to dip over to IMDb really quickly. To <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a sucky clue, and and I don't really know any other good ones. This guy's one of these people been around forever. Um, Commodore Mendez. Oh yeah, uh-huh. that's uh, Malachi Throne. Yeah, well, oh yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, oh, Mal- sure. Everybody knows the name once you say it. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't think of that was a really sucky clue. I couldn't think of anything. Malachi Throne was born on this day in 1928. What I didn't know in looking this up is that Roddenberry offered him the role of Dr. Voice. That's really cool. Playing the pike. And he said, I turned it down because I didn't want to be the third man behind the sidekick to the star hero of the show. And he did <laughs> wow. not. He thought the doctor was going to be shadow, in the shadows of Pike and um, Spock. So he turned yeah. the role down. Um, he wanted to play Spock. But oh. by the time, and Roddenberry said, oh, I think you'd be a good Spock. But by that time, they had already done Leonard Nimoy. And Leonard Nimoy was in the process of getting the role. So Malachi Throne ended up coming back as Commodore Mendez, working with, well, kind of sort of with Spock. Yeah. And another episode, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, he's one of those actors where he has a history that's just too long. If you mention Alan IMDb, it would probably be as long as your arm, because right. back in the 40s, 50s and 60s, those guys were in everything from Alcoa Presents to Twilight Zone to Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, blah, 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 police story. So <laughs> <laughs> blah, 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 great- <laughs> police story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He was a great memorable actor. And I will say spoilers. When I saw the, um, the Menagerie as a kid, when he disappeared, it, all, it freaked me out because the power of the Telosians is always a little freaky if you really think about it as yeah. portrayed in that series. So that's uh, one good one. Another person moving forward one day later, but gosh, much, much earlier in life, December 2nd, 1913. Oh, wow. I know. Right? It was the birthday of one Jerry Soul Sr. Oh. Jerry Soule was a famous writer who wrote, among other things, three episodes of Star Trek, including The Corvomite Maneuver, one of the best in the original series. He also wrote This Side of Paradise. However, DC Fontana rewrote This Side of Paradise, which he originally titled The Way of the Spores. Mm. 
he was so upset about it, he actually made them put on his name as Nathan Butler, mm. which is kind of like, what's the one, Alan Smithy, that people use in yeah. Hollywood? They yeah. don't like the script. So he was, uh, I know reading years ago, one of the changes was that, if I'm not mistaken, Sulu was supposed to be a romantic interest, not Spock. And yeah. I understand why Spock was chosen. And as he envisioned it, the spores connected everybody telepathically, which kind of also made sense. So everybody could feel each other's feelings and sense each other's thoughts. And Roddenberry and Fontana thought that was a little too far. And then they thought Spock would make a better love interest given what happened. And he was very unhappy with those changes. But of course, we still got what I think is a great show, mm-hmm. a very good episode. Um, and one more he wrote was uh, Whom Gods Destroy. That was his third episode, oh. which... Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a show that me starts with prom- promise, but it, I don't know. That's a weird one. For those who don't remember, that's the one that has, was Captain Garth, right? Mm-hmm. Who uh, is on a, the last penal Lord column. Garth. Lord Garth, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Another funny one, because according to them, there's only one penal colony for the criminally insane left on the entire known galaxy. Basically, there's only like 12 mentally unstable or insane people in the galaxy one of whom is the famous Lord Captain Garth, who has kind of <laughs> lost his mind now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Good writing, good episodes. I think, obviously, Cormac would be the best of the three that, that he wrote there, although I love this side of Paradise as well. Yeah. Also, two other birthdays, real quick, on December 2nd, 1914. Um, gosh, I was trying to think of a good way to say this one, but uh, I'll just go ahead and do the name. Well, the name's Boothby. Oh. Yeah. Ray I know Walston. that one. Yeah. Yeah. Ray I don't know his born. real name, but I need the character. <laughs> Ray Walston, he, for people who are old enough who watched Nickelodeon back when it's it, or which album was the other one? TV Land. Back when yeah. TV Land really showed old shows because they don't now. He was in My Favorite Martian, which is where he probably really came to fame. And of course, yeah, definitely. Was, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, he became famous on Star Trek playing Boothby, the groundskeeper at the Academy. Mm-hmm. brought back later on this kind of sort of one of species 8472 and kind of a weird episode and really gained his fame and then i think his first emmy ever playing uh this irascible judge in picket fences where he really kind of leaned into the the cranky old man character that made him very beloved yeah ray walston was great he really was and he was yes, so he perfect was. he was so perfect in the episode with picard i, I love the relationship oh, yeah. between him. it was just 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 a great character um, and one last one, also on December 2nd, um, this was the death, though, not a birth, um, on December 2nd, 2019, really just two years ago, we lost D.C. Fontana. Mm. Yeah, and of course, everybody knows D.C. She is absolutely legendary, absolutely instrumental to Star Trek. Uh, she actually started working with Roddenberry and them as pretty much administrative assistant functions and then became script director, story editor, and her accomplishments in Star Trek are way too many to mm-hmm. list, but among the best things that she wrote or contributed to include the episode Charlie X, which was her first good script. She also contributed to Tomorrow is Yesterday, which for those who might remember is the one when the Enterprise goes back to Earth in the 1960s and encounters a United States Air Force pilot, blah, 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 which is interesting. <laughs> One real quick side thing on that. I didn't realize until I was researching that tomorrow as yesterday, when they go back in time for the Air Force pilot, was originally conceived as a direct sequel to The Naked Time. Mm-hmm. And I did not know that. 
So those who remember with the neck of time, when they mixed the cold matter and antimatter and it put them into a time warp, that was supposed to be a cliffhanger. And that was going to take them two centuries back in time. And then the follow-up to the neck of time was they're going to be dealing with Captain Christopher. And then they said, nah, that's not really going to work. So they split it off as a completely separate show. I like the way it worked out better because you get the more, it seems more like continuity if it's not a two-parter, if you just have slingshot effects having the same effects in different episodes. But right. um, also, it's, it's like a weird left turn for a part two. <laughs> Absolutely. Know? And now we're in the 60s. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was a very strange thing. And one thing I did notice was when they mentioned going back in time for tomorrow's yesterday, they didn't use the cold matter, antimatter. Captain Kirk mentioned they used the light breakaway factor, mm-hmm. which means they they started using the thing that most people think of for time traveling track, which is go to high warp near a, a sun and slingshot mm-hmm. around the sun. And right. that takes you back in time. A couple other things that Decent Fontana wrote also was the way to Eden. Yeah, that's a good one. Enterprise Incident, Journey to Babel. And later on, she... She left this franchise because of a lawyer of Gene Rottenberry's who everybody hated. And later on in life, just a couple of years before she died, she mentioned that while she loved working with Gene, she felt that he rewrote too many of her episodes later on. And that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons she kind of backed away. But just a fantastic woman, fantastic pioneer. Can't say enough about her. No, oh, yeah, and absolutely. That, yeah. And that's this for This Week in Trek. Awesome. And Keith, I just want to say that I just it cracks me up every time you mention this episode because you always say naked time. <laughs> I do, you can hear it. And that cracks me up. <laughs> Is that a naked? Naked? Yes. <laughs> I can't remember the, the name of the comedian who used to say naked is spelled N-A-K-E-D and it means you ain't got no clothes on. Naked is spelled N-E-K-K-I-D <laughs> and it means you ain't got no clothes on and you're up to something. <laughs> uh, good point <laughs> all right i'm done all right <laughs> then we'll take a quick break to promote a fellow eso network podcast show and then when we come back we'll get into our discussion topic so stay right there it was the dawn of another podcast the epsilon 3 is a dream given form It's a home away from home for three guys to watch a 90s sci-fi classic TV show. Three guys with microphones over 3,249 miles apart, all alone in the night. The year is 2021. The name of the station is Babylon 5. The name of the podcast is the Epsilon 3. Veer, bring me a drink. All right, so this week we decided to have a little discussion about the Vulcans. It's hard to get into the Vulcans without starting off with something like a muck time. Um, the first time we've ever went to the planet Vulcan. Yeah, and really delved into what it means to be Vulcan. Yeah. And traditions and, and uh, you know, a tiny little bit of the culture and the history. Yeah. A- an incredible episode. And, and the Vulcan, the Spock, was kind of the breakout character. No one expected him to be the breakout character. And so uh, the, the network wanted a, an episode all about that guy. Let's have that guy, the one with the ears, you know, mm-hmm. let's find out more about him. So they kicked off season two with that episode. And man, what a killer, killer episode. It really is. And it struck me last year in season three discovery when they went back to Navarre that, how much of the iconography of a muck time is still around with the exactly 
weird rituals and the bells and the torches and yeah. you know it's it's like that's just was defining for what the Vulcans were. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that makes the Vulcans very interesting is uh, initially when they created the character of Spock, there w- there was a lot of concern. You have to twist your mind back to the '60s. There was a lot of concern that the character one, the fact that he had pointed ears. And everybody mm-hmm. knows that McCoy called him a pointy-eared devil more than once. But that was a real concern for the network at back in the 60s. It was. And that's yeah. why no one expected him to be the breakout character. Yeah. I mean, they wanted Roddenberry to ditch him. Yeah. And Roddenberry they, stuck to his guns. And they also, at one point in time, honestly envisioned actually making his skin reddish looking. Yeah. Um, they, they played around a couple of colors, reddish and greenish. They actually thought about making him a reddish skin devil looking character. Yeah. But. What happened was, given how videography and stuff works, the colors that they tried translated, they looked more grayish. And I think mm-hmm. you guys know, especially you, Charles, you know, many times that people say some of the colors we see aren't what we see. Like mm-hmm. to this day, people debate the true color of the Enterprise from the original series because yeah. it looks bluish or greenish, depending on who you're talking to. Right. I think it's actually supposed to be grayish. But anyway, long story short, what they were trying to do with Nimoy's makeup, it didn't work. So he ended up looking grayish. And so Roddenberry's like, I ah, forget it. Let's, let's just leave the ears on him. And I find it interesting that the network was truly afraid that people would see him as a devil character. Mm. (laughs) It's wild. Yeah. That's why people were drawn to him, probably. I think so. But I also think it's very interesting that to when you have a pretty much completely human crew, except for one alien guy, the way that you choose to depict an alien is pointy ears. (laughs) Like, Like, how did they decide upon that? Yeah. And the other thing was green blood, which which heals right. right back to little green men. But in this case, it was green blood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah well, they, they made jokes about that because originally Spock mm-hmm. had more of a, a greenish tint to his yes. makeup. Then yes. you know, they went away from that as the years went on. But he made a, a joke about that. And tomorrow's yesterday. That mm-hmm. He doesn't believe in little green men. What right. I love uh, talking about makeup. What I love is if, again, if you go back to like the the first half of the first season, uh, is he has eyeshadow, mm-hmm. really oh, noticeable. Yeah. And boy, they were just playing around with his look so much. His ears were a little shorter. His eyebrows were a little more now. We think of as Romulan at one point. They were a little. His eyebrows were a little thicker than they were. Of course, everybody remembers that as they, they you know, the stories about Nimoy and them working out the character legendary. I love the old episodes where Spock is showing a lot of emotions. We talked about like in Mud's Women, mm-hmm. where he walks into Kirk's cabin and literally has this huge grin on his face when he's introducing Mud and the women. And then, of course, there's the famous um, thing from both the Cage and Menagerie when the women get transported down the famous, you know, the women scream. The women! <laughs> yes. That's, that's my favorite Spock line in the history of Star Trek. I that is love awesome. It. And then they go down to the planet with those cool plants where the leaves are vibrating. And mm-hmm. um, Spock just lets, breaks into this big smile. One thing I was reading about is Nimoy, as, as you guys were saying, was that people didn't know how to take him. And in the famous episode, I'm going to do it right, Alan, the naked time. <laughs> woo, that's tough. <laughs> in the naked time, it was Nimoy who wanted to do the scene where Spock's character breaks down in the briefing room. Initially, that wasn't going to be done. And Nimoy went to the writer and says, I think Spock needs to have a breakdown. And the guy goes, no, nah, that's not going to work. So Nimoy then goes to Gene Roddenberry and says, Gene, I think this will be a good scene. So Roddenberry tells the guy who wrote the episode, put it in there, and they were pissed off. <laughs> so the last day, the last scene of that day, they had to film that scene. And it was pretty much one take. 
And it was pretty much Nimoy doing everything on his own. So that breakdown in the naked time was all Nimoy's idea and it was all his acting. Well, Nimoy said that because that show dealt so much with Spock's emotions and Vulcans not having emotions and how trying to make Vulcans have emotions almost broke him. He said he went from getting under a thousand letters a week to 10,000 letters a week after that one episode, because the character of Spock, people identified with that tortured soul that Spock was. Yeah. And after that, his mail actually surpassed William Shatner's, which became a problem for William Shatner. Yeah. What? I can't believe that. I know, right? (laughs) Well, it's something with the Vulcans too. I mean, they, um, they've mentioned you know time and time again that i mean i think i think they work better when they they the vulcans are are emotional they're not yeah. without emotion you know they yeah. just they keep their emotions under control um right which is why why it works otherwise you're just a, a robotic character right and that okay hmm. doubling back a little bit to the makeup issue um mm-hmm. and this is something that just kind of occurred to me uh, when you're talking about some of the makeup tests coming across as kind of grayish on screen that's mm-hmm. interesting to me because we're still talking about mid 60s and color television is is becoming more prominent at that point but it is by no means you know ubiquitous right. not everyone has a color television there are still lots of black and white TVs in people's living rooms so it wouldn't even have mattered to maybe you know a third to half of the audience that's yeah, I, I think that's really life. interesting. Yeah. yeah, I think that's something that we tend to forget about. You know, like yeah. Doctor Who was started out in black and white and went into to full color in 1970, and most folks still did not have color televisions in 1970 in England. Mm. Kind of like how people will look at shows like Star Trek and other shows and just just destroy the, the everything from the fabric of the clothing to the uh, yeah. to the creatures they create because it wasn't intended for high definition television. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. Yeah, when you see that stuff on a 1960s or 70s television screen, mm-hmm. it it looks completely different than the way we see it now. Mm. Yeah, a lot of those effects looked very convincing. I remember being convinced by some of the stuff you know when I was watching on a much smaller and much less definition television, you know, than, than what I see now. And this is way off topic. We should get back to the Vulcans. <laughs> the history of television coming up in an episode of Earth Station Trek one day. I, th- I think the conversation about Vulcan motions is always very interesting because yeah. when I was a kid, I also was, I was really confused and I thought Vulcans truly didn't have emotions. And I used to think that it was only because Spock was half human. There's always been two real quick things I want to say real quick about the Vulcans I find interesting. Vulcans, at least Spock, Spock always blames his human half for his problems. He's always saying, it's my human half. It's my human half. But if you think about it, I've thought about this. If you look at the violent races in Star Trek, the Klingons, the Andorians are evidently a violent race, the Nausicans. Honestly, the, most, the single most violent intelligent species in Star Trek is the Vulcans. Because as violent as the Klingons are, and they have a warrior culture, as violent as the Nausicans are, you don't hear about any other race that almost destroyed themselves like that. I mean, even yeah. humans got through it. Vulcans, and that's the thing about the Vulcans. And it's funny because I get why people like Archer get mad at their arrogance, because if the Vulcans don't control their emotions, they're violent and vicious and can kill anybody at the drop of a hat. So I don't know how superior Vulcans are. They, they have to literally Vulcans can't be what they really are. And I always found that very interesting. So I always felt that it's not Spock's human half. That's the problem. I think it is Vulcan half. That's the problem, mm. honestly. And you yeah. know, the way I, I look at it, 
Yeah, that was a point that he made in Balance of Terror when they first suspected that, you know, when Spock first suspected that, you know, if if if, if these Romulans are offshoots of our Vulcan blood, we're screwed. Like, well, this yeah, is, right. This is gonna be bad, <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> I think one thing about Vulcans that has maybe been sort of left behind over the years is the greater physical strength mm-hmm. than what humans have. I, I think most of the Vulcans we've seen since Spock have just been a human with pointy ears mm. and no emotions, you know, like the, 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 the stronger physical characteristics, we don't really see much beyond that point. Yeah. I know we saw it. I'm trying to think off the top of my head when we've seen actually, I know deep space nine, when they played baseball, they made yes, a big deal that's about true. that. That's and true. And that time Archer got into a fight with the Vulcan and um, his plan was to get knocked over to the desk where his where his face pistol was. Right. <laughs> right. When he beats me down, I'll land right here next to the gun. <laughs> if only he'll yeah. cooperate and throw me exactly in that direction. <laughs> but, I think in Deep Space Nine, Dax told Cisco that Vulcans have three times the strength of humans, mm. which is you know pretty good. And, and Alan, when you're mentioning the strength, I, my first thought always goes back to this side of paradise when Kirk is insulting Spock to break the hold of the spores on him. It's such mm-hmm. a great show. We should review that one day, but I love it because it goes down. Spock is it's the only Spock's like, that's enough. That's enough. And then Kirk finally goes, you belong in a freak show. And Spock's about to blow. And then he does the famous right next to the dog face boy. And then he turns <laughs> around and Spock punches. And you can tell it's like plastic, but he, he like hits the, like the rep, the food replicator thing. And it bends and Kirk holds up a big old two, kind of like saying what he beat con with and Spock bends that. <laughs> so you're right. They don't show that kind of strength very much with the Vulcans. Yeah. yeah. I, I liked the portrayal. Um, so I mean, speaking of take me out to the hollow suite when they were playing baseball, I thought that was a fun, very yeah. different portrayal of the Vulcans because you, you don't usually wouldn't think of them as a baseball team, you know, <laughs> but I, I love that they're just as arrogant as they've always been. And, you know, it's uh, it takes a lot for a bunch of humans or humans and Ferengi to <laughs> to go up against them physically. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. different kind of a battle, but it's you know, it's it's a, a competition nonetheless. And I think when you're saying about the emotion, I think that I think that episode, because I was actually just listening to a, a podcast about that episode recently, and some of the people said they didn't like the fact that a Vulcan captain was portrayed as basically having arrogance because this guy is like for years. Every he's Vulcan. Please. Absolutely. Please. <laughs> yeah. All right. And that's the thing. He was like, a Vulcan should be beyond doing something like humiliating a human. I'm like, no, that's the point you're missing. They use logic to cover a lot of stuff. Like, they're, they're that is the truth. In a month time, she was trying to have an affair and wanted to marry a different guy. So she's going to have Kurt killed by his best friend. <laughs> It was great. It was so great about that. Another thing, the mock time. What I love is after the whole thing, is she tells him his plan. Spock, like to what you said, Charles, is Spock. She's like, basically, I'm going to kill your captain, blah blah blah. Or if you're gone, I'm basically going to have a lover, and I'm going to have all your property. And Spock goes, logical, flawlessly logical. Like, yes. Only Vulcans can say, you exactly. just said you're, gonna, you're literally going to screw around on me if I'm gone. Yeah. And it's, it's like, wow, that was pretty logical. I mean, wow. I mean, you can disagree with it and be hurt by it, but still admire it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vulcans have always been jerks. That's something people, when Enterprise was new, people were upset that the, yeah. that the Vulcans were jerks. And I'm like, have you ever seen Vulcans? They're all, we've always been I jerks. I love it. Yeah. I love the portrayal of Vulcans in Enterprise yeah. so much. I can't even say. There's an episode, we're talking about episodes. There's an episode in the first season called The Andorian Incident. Mm. And I don't know if y'all remember that one, but it's the one where yes. they go to this super sacred temple called Pajim. Yep. And it's got all these honored dead and 
the Vulcans are there and the Andorians are there and you're fighting about this long war and there's pretty much hatred between the Andorians and the Vulcans. And spoilers, spoilers, everyone. What you find out is that the Vulcans are using this hollow temple with dead bodies in it of hollow dead people as a listening post on the Andorians. And mm -hmm. it's a shocker for a whole bunch of people because some are like, this is not what Vulcans are supposed to do. It also means Vulcans are lying all over the place. In, yep. in the original series, they claim Vulcans couldn't mm -hmm. lie. And we, we know that's not true. But he only um, claimed that, that when he was lying. Exactly, right? <laughs> it was a logical thing to do. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And that's that's actually an episode that really splits people. That 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 one episode, people either started hating Vulcans as portrayed in Enterprise, or they were intrigued by the more complex portrayal of Vulcans in Enterprise. Yeah. I love it. Veronica, yeah, when we were totally. talking about this um, off mic, you mentioned an Enterprise episode. Yeah, Carbon Creek. Yeah, Carbon Creek. Oh mm. yeah, I love that one. That that's a good one. What do you like about Carbon Creek? Um, just the fact that they're like in a town of humans and having to get along and pretend to be human and with all of their volcanisms and having to get along and then one of them just decides to stay behind yeah yeah because he loves lucy <laughs> <laughs> yeah Is that really her funny. name no he was <laughs> watching the episode, the episode of i love lucy oh okay <laughs> I don't love that episode, but I'm always a treat by it. Do, do y'all know if there's, is there any treatment, Veronica, of what happened to that guy? Because it crossed my mind. He could conceivably have lived to Kirk's time. He shows up in the novels. Really? Yeah. And various like novels that are set in the 20th century have Mistral in them. Seriously? Yeah. So I know Dayton Ward did several of them. I don't remember the titles off the top of my head that take place, you know, in the, over the 20th century. Interesting. Yeah. Does he ever you're, you're go not going to have you're not going to have a like a character like that dropped in your lap and yeah. and some novelist not take that up. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I liked it, too, because for, for one, huh. Strangers from the Sky was my favorite Star Trek novel when I was a kid. And it plays yeah, off a lot one. of the same things. But also yeah. it, it tied in nicely with First Contact, where you have the, the Vulcans are and it would make sense. They're there observing Sputnik. You know, it's uh yeah. The first, nat you know, natural satellite. So it makes sense. Or, uh, the first artificial satellite. So it makes sense that they'd be, you know, at Earth in the fifties observing. And it's fun to think it's it's almost like a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, it mm -hmm. really is. Mm -hmm. So according to novelizations, at least that Vulcan never went back to Vulcan. They never came back. And well, they told him he was dead. Right. That was the whole thing. Yeah. They. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Huh. <laughs> so could there be humans with Vulcan genes in them running around? Presumably, maybe. Wow. I don't know that he'd be able to fool someone long enough to reproduce. What'd you say? I don't know that he'd be able to fool someone long enough to reproduce and not let that so they, where they wouldn't know that he was an alien. Uh, I, think that, I think that would make it even <laughs> make him even more <laughs> Oh, yeah, you know. As some people might be turned on by the fact exactly that right. alien, as we saw with Lilith on the uh, next right. generation. Exactly. <laughs> gonna, get, gonna get me some strange. Yeah. Right. And while we're talking about Vulcans, I'm gonna throw out this really weird thing. And what a weird thing to talk about is Vulcan mating. So many people seem have say that Vulcans can only have sex once every seven years. Yeah. And it's mm -hmm. funny how many people have that misperception. They can do it anytime they want. They have to do it every mm -hmm. seven. Right, which I think is interesting, and what an amazing twist for a sentient species to still have a mating drive like animals. Which you know, you were talking about a mock time, Charles. 
And that's still, to me, one of the most innovative things ever done to me in Star Trek. And boy, that could have failed. You know, think about that. You've got a race that literally every seven years has an uncontrollable mating drive. Yeah. They even can compare it to, to what, salmon on Earth and some kind mm-hmm. of birds on some planet. Yeah. And boy, that could have been a fail, but it works. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so far as we know, Romulans don't have that. So it could just be that this is huh. the payoff for having, you know, perfect control the rest of the time. Is that that's exactly how I take it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you get to the point where <laughs> you, you got to mate or murder somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and if you think about that, to, to what you're saying, they're literally saying, think about in our modern society. If you go to somebody's wedding and somebody gets killed at the wedding. And then you go, what, have cake with the dead body there? <laughs> be that is so, it is so incredibly barbaric. I understand why Vulcans don't talk about it. Because yeah. even by human standards, that's, wow, that's pretty rough. <laughs> okay, so do we have anything else um, about the Vulcans? I'm excited about the Vulcan that's going to be in the next season of Lord X. Or make appearance. Oh, from Wedge Dudge. Yeah. Uh, what was her name? Does anybody remember the... Oh, oh, right, right. I don't remember. I don't remember. Anyway, she was great. I yeah, liked that loved whole Vulcan her. ship. I thought they did a great job of bringing together a lot of Vulcan stuff from the various shows. Yes. And just making it all cohesive. Absolutely. I love I that whole sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to seeing more of her. Yeah, definitely. I love T'Pol. <laughs> I like T'Pol a lot. I think T'Pol is my favorite character on Enterprise. Well, aside from Porthos. No. <laughs> No, for me, for me. <laughs> okay. For me, man. Porthos is where it's at. T'Pol is a very close second. Yeah, okay. I like her. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll take another quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. And then when we come back, we'll be talking about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. So stay right there. Welcome to the Ring of Thunder, the most electrifying wrestling podcast in the Thunderverse and the ESO network. From the power of the people's host, Sexy Thor, critics say, it doesn't matter what the critics say. You already know you're in for a hammer swinging, burrito eating, mic blazing, hair raising time with this weekly wrestling adventure, WWE, AEW, Impact, and whatever else I can possibly fit. If you hear what the Thunder is talking. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! This is not a drill. And this week we're talking about the the third episode of the fourth season of Star Trek Discovery. Um, choose your paint. No, choose to live. Choose your pain is a different episode. <laughs> yeah, this one's less painful. It was choose to live. <laughs> <laughs> but people kept choosing not to live. They did. They did. I would choose to bring a phaser. <laughs> right <laughs> brother charles my my first note my first note is she didn't have to kill that officer my second note was i would have brought a phaser spe- <laughs> not even bring it when they start beaming onto my ship i'm phasing right. them i don't care about thank people. you we'll turn your beliefs out later exactly especially, especially if they announce to you i'm gonna steal your dilithium yeah right you know what phaser yeah and and right. stab you while i'm doing it exactly <laughs> and wow, then you're a ruthless captain everybody's getting stunned <laughs> and then after they killed one of the one of her people and then they beamed down to wherever they were going, they still only brought swords. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. WTF. Yeah. Come on. I will say the um the he was the first officer who got killed. 
Um, I will say, Brother Man was equating equating um, himself really well in that fight. Yeah, at he first. was. He, he was kicking some butt. Wait, he was. I was like, I was like yeah, I'm like, yeah, get him. <laughs> yeah. He was good. She still didn't have to kill him. That's what I wrote in my notes. She still could have just knocked him out. And they don't have a Vulcan right. neck pinch anymore. I mean, seriously? Yeah. Well, now she's uh, yes. the Quat Malat or uh, Romulan. Romulan. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Sorry. So, yeah. But they live on the VAR, which is they both species. So, I mean, presumably mm. they could be learn it. Right. That's what exactly. I was kind of wondering. Yeah. Yeah. You know, two episodes ago, I, I mentioned that I, those Tricon badges really should have force fields inside. And why don't they? Yes. Have, that would have been really handy in this episode because you uh-huh. have, someone with a sword can just beam yeah. on to a 32nd century starship and get away with the, dilith- the, the lithium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Just like on Dune. <laughs> <laughs> what did y'all think about that because i understood and what you're saying charles about them and i get all this it's 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 a religious and a philosophical calling for them i'm still struggling with her justifying killing people like that even for that cause i i, I had a problem with that I, I, for some reason it, it wasn't working for me maybe Especially also innocent the, people mm-hmm. yeah that, exactly. i could get her killing like the raiders who are coming to yeah, get the, the the Latinum out of their bodies, but she's just right. beaming on the ships and killing people. Exactly, right. It, I think my problem with it was one a one hour episode that also had other plots to to mm-hmm. bring that in. It didn't feel it didn't feel justified. You know, what I mean, it was like mm-hmm. to me, I needed something more fleshed out because she finds these people and then she's her, it's her cause and she's got to do what she has to do and then she's killing for it. I think, well, that's a whole lot for me to buy. And then to just say, well, you know, we don't want to give her Federation justice because blah, blah, blah. And I'm not usually that guy, but I'm thinking, man, she needs to pay for this. Uh, mm-hmm. I wasn't really yeah. buying it uh, for me personally. Yeah, I did like the story. I liked that that we're either on a, this moon ship and they have a little backstory and the aliens were pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it seemed kind of kind of forced that they have latinum in their in their biology. Yeah. The, yeah. You know, I mean, well, I mean, I guess it depends because like. You know, we can we say that um, Vulcans have copper based blood. Maybe this is simply sure. a matter of being latinum based blood. Yeah, it could be. I but mean, it that's, seems that's like for, a little silly, but there could be a lot of things for grave robbers to come on this yeah. moonship. You know, the weird technology yeah. or yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But I, I like that it turned into a little Star Trek story. And I wasn't really expecting that, you know, that to have a little Star Trek story of the week. Yeah. Uh, and it's a brief one, because, I mean, if you add those scenes up, it's probably maybe 20 minutes of the episode if mm. that yeah yeah and her mother was back oh that was interesting yeah yeah what were the looks between them at the start they were they were looking a little uncomfortable on each other at the start i wasn't mm-hmm. sure what that was about yeah, well, the last time we saw her i, I see like they made up pretty well at the end but she right. was giving her a pretty hard time during that trial or during the the scientific debate or whatever mm-hmm. or whatever that was they're mm-hmm. in the ritual um but I, I don't know how how long has she been a quat Malat? She acquits herself pretty well. She's pretty good with the I, I sword was, and everything. Do we know I, I how many years that. she's been? Yeah, Mm-mm, I don't think we do. I mean, it can't be. Go ahead. Probably the entirety of the time that Burnham was yeah. with Spock's family. I mean, that's a year, though. Yeah. Yeah. A year or two. We're talking what? Maybe one or two or three years. Yeah, I, I was I was trying to think and I didn't have time to go back to think that she get there significantly before the discovery crew in that time period does she I don't jump? remember if they said i gave me his time travel i guess she could yeah. have arrived 10 mm-hmm. years earlier for some reason but right right i don't know 
Yeah. She's got a lot of backstory there already. Mm. She does. Because her mannerisms and her fighting skills are, are, are as if she had been with them for a long, long, long time. Yeah. yeah. About her. Uh, which I found kind of interesting. I'm glad they seem to have a better they've made up because to me, it was yeah. one of those. I mean, I get all that, but to me, it's just kind of weird if you've lost everything you've known, including your father and stuff like that. And then you go 900 years in the future and you got one living relative and you're going to have some issues where you don't talk very often. It's modern television drama. They have yeah. to have some parental <laughs> slash child, you know, uh, yeah. disagreements and and angst and all that stuff and they don't play it up nearly as much as other shows would have yeah it's, that's not is, even just modern though because star trek's always done that too well sure you know? sure like if if spot got to the future and Sarek was there they wouldn't get along right that's very true <laughs> wow good i would hope 900 years of that i don't know <laughs> i mean it's 900 years chronologically for the universe but it's not yeah. for them it's like not i just saw you yet. five minutes ago it was 900 years ago but i still don't <laughs> like you <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was having trouble. I think I was yeah. having trouble with some of that plot line. I, I really, I kind of felt like I wish that plot line had been spread out over several episodes because, as you said, Charles, it's an mm. interesting plot. Yeah, but yeah. for me, I just couldn't buy as much stuff as they compressed into that. Yeah, into that, that's that's it for me too. It's real quick. Like it's a it's a yeah. nice little Star Trek story. Like a few weeks ago, we we had mentioned the Star Trek Power Records that were like little fifteen minute Star Trek stories, and that's kind of how this felt, where it's just like bam, 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 bam yeah, through us. But I mean, we got several storylines going on in this episode um we have made good progress with gray yeah, yeah. i, I kind of feel like that didn't need to have that much time devoted to it mm. i mean that's just me but then i don't know it wasn't it wasn't sword fights and stuff so <laughs> yeah it was an episode True. where as you just said it was an episode with a lot of little stories it was it was yeah. almost like a like a day in the life of one of the little stories or relationships I like, and I'm surprised how much I like it. I like the pairing of Stamets and uh, Book. And Book. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Like they I had a they had a bit of a breakthrough last week, and I'm really yeah. kind of enjoying seeing them paired up and 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 sort of like moving, progressing in their friendship. I, I'm loving yeah. that. Me too. And um, you know, when you have a friendship like that, where you have Stamets who's who's arrogant, but also insecure and brilliant, and Book who is world more worldly etc it's easy to make a relationship like that kind of cliched almost like a, a spark mccoy relationship um, mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel like it, it actually feels genuine so far what, and that yeah. caught me off guard i did not expect to like that relationship or it to feel so genuine as it does so far yeah, for for two guys who have are there such different personalities they do mm -hmm. have a lot in common though yeah not only the spore drive thing but also both having gone through loss and you know they're interesting characters has they both have sort of found families there on the ship as well which mm -hmm. um you know I, I i'm like you i like i like their dynamic a lot mm -hmm. i want them to be paired up and sent on a mission like some kind of like crime investigative mission and in some kind of like miami vice setup <laughs> that's what i want they can use burnham's room that's true oh, yeah. <laughs> that's true <laughs> I feel like Burnham can't come in here for like two days. We're we're in the middle of the story. <laughs> we're on a Miami Vice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're Miami Vicing in here. <laughs> so do y'all do y'all think that the whole thing that's coming up every episode with Burnham basically having to face the realities of politics and being practical is that leading towards something? Is that just like a little background thing? Because every week she's kind of like, man, this kind of sucks where you're doing stuff for expedience sake instead of, I guess, what she mm. feels is quote unquote the right thing to do. I don't know if it's leading towards something or if it's just a commentary on 
I, I am now the captain, and this is the kind of crap I have to deal with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to deal with the bureaucracy. It's more. a different world now in the yeah, big chair, you know? Yeah. It's not just explosions and fight scenes all the time. Right. Yeah. And it's not yeah. going off and half cocked and doing whatever you want when your mm-hmm. captain has told you not to. You know, right. that stuff's in the past. Now I have to deal with bureaucracy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like she's dealing with that a lot because I, at the end when she said, oh, you're going to let them handle this, she, she killed an officer and it was, we need that planet in the new federation and we got to yeah. do what we got to do. Yeah. Mm. Yep. And I, yeah. And I can't totally. say the president is even wrong, really. You know, like I said, that happens in real life. I mean, we do it with, oh, yeah. as a time we speak about this, United States and other countries, we do this all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, That's yeah. how stuff That's gets true. done. Yeah. Well, speaking of going someplace, where's Tilly going? What's going on? That's a good mm-hmm. question. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't get what they were trying to have her do with all of that. Well, it seems like I mean we talked about last week how the um they sometimes have to move people around because mm-hmm. of the way the show was set up. You yeah. know, a lot of the characters are scientists, but it seems like Tilly may be looking for something outside of being a science officer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think security officer is the way to go. No, no. definitely not. Mm-mm. That seemed like a bizarre suggestion. I would have brought a security officer and Tilly if like she can come, but I'm going to bring a security officer too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That yeah. didn't make any sense at all. Somebody you hand they them keep, a bladed weapon and they drop it on the ground and start saying, oh, <laughs> yeah, they, they keep putting her. I mean, you know, last year it was, you're going to be first officer, even though you're yeah. an ensign, they keep putting her in these weird situations that she isn't qualified for. And yeah, there's no there's no logical reason for it to happen no and it's always saru <laughs> and, right and it's always that guy what is wrong with him and he did the same thing when they first crashed in 32nd century they know nothing about where they are yeah it's like well i'm gonna bring tilly because she's yeah. great and it was a nice scene and then he was very mentoring to her it, but then as soon as crap hit the fan there was no backup plan right and no offense to tilly but she was kind of useless yeah. um and, in a fight scene she hit under the bar you know what i mean like yeah that's oh, true you know what Yes. Maybe, maybe she's not cut out for to be a security officer. Right. Which is fine. Not everybody is. Exactly. Uh-huh. I seem to recall season one. This is the power of science. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that Tilly more. Yeah. And this really did seem like season one Tilly. Like yeah. we like we really regressed in this mm-hmm. one episode on on her character. We don't yeah. we didn't see any of the the much more commanding presence that she's been in the last two episodes. Yeah. She was just like, you know, silly and, and, and stammering. And, you know, it was just it just seemed out of character for her now. Yeah. yeah. And that they that they kind of justify why she's still in that way. At first, I thought it was because of the, the when they were rescuing the guy from the station the other in the last episode, yeah. he died. But I would almost expect. Um, she seemed to be having some uh, mental issues before that, because uh, she was started talking to Burnham when they were on that. Okay on that thing looking at the archer ship or whatever the archer docking station of yeah. the buildings i don't yep. remember what <laughs> yeah so it wasn't new but no it's yeah. not it, it's something that's i don't know maybe happened between seasons i don't know could be yeah maybe it's interesting i still would like to see more of the other crew get some time as well especially if you're gonna they okay in this one they no no <laughs> As Thank you for bringing that them. up, Keith. Now you're done. Push my yeah. button. <laughs> <laughs> All right. As we, you're right. We didn't even see them, right? Physically? Well, no. Um, um, 
uh, uh, Detmer and Bryce were listed in the credits, but I don't recall seeing them on screen at all. The yeah. others were not. So, yeah. you know. Was there any, like, bridge scene no, at all? No, I don't think whatsoever? there was even a like, scene. even from the back? Uh-uh. I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to sound critical because I still like the show, but I do. And, and I'm doing something weird, which may brand me and may mark me with some people. I've been watching a lot of the original series. And I don't like to do a, you know, this one comparison, but there's a there's a level of kind of character writing and dramatic writing that I'd like to see a little bit more of in this one, because it kind of sort of sometimes feels like they are either meandering with their characters or like you were saying, Alan, if you're going to do all that focus on Tilly, but make her feel almost kind of silly from first season to bring in some of the other people. So I kind of want to see the characterizations of the people tightened up just a little bit. Bouncing between Burnham and Saru and Book and Tilly, but not really doing anything with even all those people that just really pulls me in. Mm-hmm. I felt I kind of felt like it was meandering, and I and mm-hmm. I, I kind of I want I want to tighten up just a little bit more on that. Yeah, I mean, just last week they were making a point that um, Tilly is sort of becoming a Stamets and more of a mentor to Adira. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and yes. then, like I said, this week she's, you know, got lotion on her hands and she's dropping her sword before the battle. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, come on. <laughs> Get it together, Which, Tilly. Come it on. It was funny, but uh-huh. yeah. I didn't even find it funny, though. I just found it awkward and yeah. uncomfortable because that's not supposed to be who Tilly is anymore. We're supposed to be leaving, you know, growing mm-hmm. a little bit and leaving that behind. Yeah. It just seemed like a weird regression. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It did. And also, I think it was weird because uh, I, I felt it was it felt oddly inserted into a thing where we still got this weird anomaly, which is somehow traveling faster than light. And they're like, well, we don't know what that is. And then that's going on in the background. We know. But then we get a scene where Tilly's dropping a sword and acting kind of goofy. And I was just <laughs> I, I just felt like it didn't it didn't hold together in the overall. Yeah. Yeah. Show plot line. So. It was mm-hmm. kind of a fail for me. It, I wasn't really engaged. Yeah. There were moments, there were individual moments I liked, but overall, I didn't really feel like the episode really made, moved forward a whole lot of stuff I cared yeah. about. I, I actually liked it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I've got my criticisms, obviously, mm-hmm. but um, we got a little forward. Well, we're finding out, I guess, going on the checklist of what the DMA, which they're calling it, yes. the uh, dark matter anomaly is. Yes. So it's not a binary black hole, nor is it a primordial wormhole. Mm-hmm. So we're <laughs> working down the list. Isn't there of, another of kind of wormhole? Well, primordial, like, I would guess, is just like a, like a forming wormhole. Right, exactly. One yeah. that's okay. one that's developing into it'll a, be a wormhole one day it, <laughs> when it grows up. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I don't think they need to do have it do any more growing. <laughs> True. <laughs> I, I did like I did like the scenes on Vulcan though, and they're they're the weird little floating platforms. Oh, I that thought, was really cool. And mm-hmm. I thought the scenery looked great. They're making yeah. great use of this AR wall. And I liked I liked the bit where he talks to the scientists and they all just start meditating. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, are we going to do science? I'm like, oh, yeah, there, there they are. It made me think of that scene with Spock when when McCoy was like, are you doing your calculations? And he was like, I am doctor. Oh, like, yes. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it just I don't know. It made him come across as, I don't know, kind of jerky. Like he's not stupid. He, he can kind of make an educated guess. This must be how they do things. Yeah. But instead, he's like, "Can we focus and not take a nap right now?" I just—I can see that for Stamets, though. Yeah. He doesn't have a lot of patience for people. <laughs> oh, well, I know that's true, but <laughs> I don't know. Oh well. I guess I didn't enjoy this episode as much as 
everyone yeah. else did. So I'm a little more critical of well, some I, of the I, things I, about it. I think it's funny, Alan, that you've been, you said you've been watching some original series as have I, and to your point, to what you're saying, I was the same way. I was like, I was sitting there going, it, it's okay, but I'm not just loving it. It, it really felt like yeah. it was, it felt like a meandering episode with some individual good moments, but in the bigger scheme of things, I just came away going, oh, it was okay. The, it, it seemed like a, like a less consequential middle chapter but it's yeah. only episode three. We shouldn't be having middle yeah. chapters yet. Yeah. <laughs> right. I thought it, it felt like three short treks that were put together. Like oh, three little good short point. Yeah. You are yeah. absolutely right. Because they yeah. none of them linked up at all. Right. Whatsoever. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they had links between Ish. them. But yeah, it was like three different stories going on. And none of them, I don't think, were would have stood alone as an episode. No. You know? Yes, yeah. exactly. One okay, thing so, I did. Oh, go ahead, Keith. I'm sorry, sorry, real quick. I'll say one thing I did like, and I hope this this holds is is just from watching any kind of regular television, whether it's a rom com or a show, is I hate it when couples have what I feel like are artificial problems in a relationship. I like mm -hmm. the fact that so far Book and Burnham seem to be okay. He's grieving, but you know, yeah. some TV shows they'll just like break up and it gets real weird, but they, they seem to be okay. And I like that because I hate it when people do that artificial thing with couples where they just break up and that all that stuff happens. So I'm hoping that stays like that, where she's there for him and she's giving him the space because this man is grieving in a way that very few people understand about grieving. Yeah, mm. I thought those scenes were nice, too. And mm -hmm. yeah, what he wanted to know from his memory was if the little boy had seen him, mm -hmm. you know, that last time, if he if he had turned to look at him, which I thought was sweet. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I, I like I like what books been. I like that they're moving a story along also. Yeah. yeah, I like his storyline, but I like that it's moving. It doesn't seem like they're going to like the Detmer thing last year just felt like it was stuck in one place for seven episodes until it was over. Mm. Right. And she was over it, you know, yeah. where I feel like they're making I mean, we're on episode three and they're making some progress with the with book storyline. Hmm. Interesting. Um, we were talking about crew members who weren't there this week. I just want to say crew member that I love that has not been anywhere in this season. And that is Jet Reno. Where is she? she she's some. She's going to be somewhere because she's in. Oh, I know. The, the, I know. Clips. She should be in every episode. As far as well, I'm concerned, I know she doesn't want to be. I think she also couldn't initially because of the, the yeah. COVID stuff going on. She didn't want to travel because of her. Um, sure. I think it was cancer that she had had in the past. Yes, it is. Um, but I, I, I know. I, I just miss her. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And there's That's never true. enough Jet Reno for me. <laughs> and I turn on the TV and see her everywhere. I was working today and there was some movie called Instant Family that was on. It was that one with Marky Mark and whatever they adopted. They adopted, uh, he and Rose Byrne adopted a, a family and she was one of the counselors. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, oh, there wow. she was. Yeah. So How I'm cool. always seeing her and stuff. You know, so I see her on talk shows. I see her here and there. So uh, you're going to be a very. A very mm -hmm. sarcastic counselor. She was real. <laughs> yeah, she had a really, really dry sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> so All basically, right, she, any, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, I have nothing important to say. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, do we have any other closing thoughts about that episode before uh, we? Uh, I, I do have a closing okay. thought about that. Um, I, I kind of wanted to bring up the analogy at the end of uh, the Federation as, or the Starfleet as a symphony. No, I, I yeah. loved that. Yeah, I um, like that, that a lot, too. Yeah, it was pretty. <laughs> um, first of all, I, I really like um, 
I mean, anytime you have this much Admiral Silver Fox in an episode, mm-hmm. I'm going to enjoy it. But then he gets that really nice moment at the end, you know, and of course, I'm a, a musician and a percussionist and I've played in orchestras and stuff, blah, blah, blah. And so that really, you know, spoke to me. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed that. That was my favorite thing of the whole episode. It was so poetically put. And it makes so much sense, you know, yeah. when you, when it, and it tells you, you know, you don't always have to, or not, can't always see everything from your own perspective. There are lots of perspectives and you aren't the conductor. Mm. You may not understand what the woodwinds are doing, but you don't have to, you're yeah. not the conductor. The conductor has to understand all those parts. Right. Loved it. Yeah. I like that a lot too. That's it. <laughs> I think that's a good point. And I think uh, to what you're saying is it kind of showcases where in some ways Burnham is in a weirder situation. Almost any captain we've seen in Star Trek history, because she can't just run off and do the cowboy thing right or wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. Possibly only Picard because the Federation was so, you know, um, there was star bases everywhere and he could always check in. But if you look back to Kirk, there's whole episodes like balance of terror where he made the decision and it'd be like, they literally say, you know, he'd be with a villain and a, a bad guy, and they'd say, "Oh, yeah, you call for help." It'll be a week before this message gets back, mm-hmm. and yeah, so true. many, you know, so many decisions. Kirk would say, "Notify Command Central," and basically, I'll take the fall back whenever the message gets back. But now, you're, she can't run off on her own, so she's not an individual musician. She has to be part of this, which sucks mm-hmm. for her. I miss that. I would. I wish they were out of, yeah. out of contact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now they're they're having like real-time communications with Trill whenever they want. I guess maybe Trill's not that far from Navarre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, Alan, do we have a time for a question of the week this week? Uh, sure. I have one from Vandy Beth Glenn. And uh, this is uh, one that she posted a, a few months ago. Um, and this is probably something we should spend a bigger amount of time on as an actual topic. But um, I'm, I'm interested in this. She asks, what civilization should be next to receive a multi-episode, multi-season story arc like the Klingons got in Next Generation where they developed the, the Klingon society, um, Ferengi got in DS9, and Dorian's got in Enterprise, that kind of thing. Who would you like to see what race has not been developed as much as they possibly could and could Ooh. use that kind of thing? I... It's funny you say this. I thought about this a lot for a long time. Is the Tellarites only because? Oh, interesting. The Tellarites have so far been used as borderline just comic relief, and then they're yeah. just all we know about them is they're cranky and that they have they they can't stand false. Um, you know, they can't stand you being false. They want you to be honest and blunt with them. Yeah, and they're one of the founding races of the Federation, which says they right, have right. And it's I, one of the founding races that we know pretty much nothing about, right? Because they've never really done anything with them. Right. Except mm-hmm. as a, the the occasional heavy, exactly. And their their appearance in Enterprise though was really good. You know when mm-hmm. when they did the whole thing with the spoilers. Those haven't seen it when they had the Tellarite ambassador and Shran. And there's some great stuff going on there with mm-hmm. the three races: uh, the Vulcans and Dorians and Tellarites. But mm-hmm. yeah, still of those three races, I still know the least amount about the Tellarites. I just right. what you're saying, Alan. They literally need to be fleshed out because I know nothing about them. Yeah. Mm. So first thing that came to mind was Ferengi, just because I, I don't know enough about Ferengi. <laughs> There's not actually that much beyond the rules of acquisition. And that's like, there was Ferengi all the time on DS9. <laughs> but yes, but they didn't go into their culture a whole lot. Okay. But then Alan pointed out that they did kind of sort of not as much as they did with the Klingons and 
some of the others. It's not enough for your liking. It's not enough for my liking. Yeah. Um, but then my next thought was the trill. It would be, which would mm-hmm. be kind of interesting because mm-hmm. th- that would be something they could do on Discovery with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, those two. Yeah. And they, they had hinted. I mean, they, they had mentioned in um, last season that, you know, it's so unusual that there's, there's no trill hosts left and they, they can trill can join with other races and that, Adira was going to be like a, an ambassador and they've done nothing with that since then. Nope. Yeah, right. <laughs> they haven't found any other hosts for Trill that I know of. Right, right. All right, Chuck. I was going to say the children of Tama, the Tamarians. Uh, I think they're really interesting. And yes. I think that they've got a, you know, as sci-fi languages go, they've got a really unique one that is instantly memorable. I think, you know, if you're looking at episodes, you know, Aliens that were very memorable from mm-hmm. one-off appearances. Mm-hmm. They were. I mean, people still are quoting Shaka when the walls fell and, you know, Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra to this day. And I'm going to say that what we got in um, Lower Decks really didn't stack up as much as I was hoping it would. Either. We didn't get much. No, not I at mean, all. Yeah. Mostly he's standing around in the background. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> well, and also given when Lower Decks takes place, I'm... I'm beyond intrigued and curious about how they go from barely knowing each other on TNG to him being a member of the Federation and an officer in what is still relatively small number of years. And so I'm still completely confused about that. Um, So, yeah, that's a good point. I'd like to see more about them. One of the things I thought in that original episode, Darmok, is at the end of the episode, when they have a a fight, when um, the, the ships start blasting, their ship looks like it's at least as powerful as the Enterprise, maybe more oh, yeah. so. So I and I love it when races are introduced that are more powerful than the Federation. I don't mean the godlike races, but you know, close but just right, beyond right. them. So right. yeah, I'd I'd definitely like to see more about that race. Oh, oh, I have a new answer. Oh, good. Okay. What is it? We got the Epstein. Q. What the Q? Q. The Q. <laughs> that's, that's, they're that's unknowable. That's a race I want to. So I, I want to know more. Well. <laughs> Usually when they do that, all of a sudden they're like, you're like in the queue in the gray or something. Exactly. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. I like I like queue in small doses. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Ooh, Keith is one too. What? And Veronica, I know you don't know that reference. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Welcome back, Cotter. Um, I gotta do one more because Veronica made me think about it, the Kelvins. Oh yeah. I'm serious. I could go for Kelvins. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, again, we I've said this a million times. We've got to do an episode that for we got to do a podcast about episodes that start off really great and on a really like like that was not the episode I expected. But the Kelvins, the end of the show, you everybody thinks about it's green and all the jokey stuff. But if you remember, the Kelvins are this hyper advanced race from the Andromeda Galaxy who, in their natural form, are like nine feet tall, multi tentacle beings, so powerful that Spock can't even affect them with his mental powers. I really want to know what those Kelvins are like. I would mm-hmm. love to see that race. Uh, That's explore. cool. That's and there's, yeah, and there's still what's going on in Andromeda Galaxy. I think they sent a ship there and said, "Hey, you want to you want to get with us and be friends?" <laughs> get <laughs> with us? Yeah, that come out right. <laughs> Treat with us. <laughs> I thought it was turned into a Spice Girls song. <laughs> you want to get naked and get with us? <laughs> Thank you. That's exactly what I was gonna say. <laughs> I mean, um, we can go on this one forever. <laughs> okay, so so here's mine. You ready? Yeah. The Shelliac. I'm kidding. The Shelliac. <laughs> I'm kidding. They were stupid. Okay. Um, yes. but, <laughs> but for for seriousnesses, um, I would say I would love to see a little bit more of the Cations 
to see what their home planet is like. Is it like, you know, do they have scratching posts everywhere? Do you know, do mm. they have catnip dealers on the, on the sidewalk? You know, I just want to know what their society is like and, you know, how they became part of the Federation and that kind of stuff. But the other yeah. one is uh, the Betazoids. I really mm. want to know where mm. the Betazoids are in the 32nd century. Mm. I want to yeah. know what Betazo- what Beta Z is doing, how its relationship with the Federation is. You know, I think there's a lot there that can be explored. I want to know if their if their abilities have evolved over time. You know, are they more powerful telepaths now? Or if like with the president, it's she's three races mm-hmm. of undisclosed amounts, if they've diluted so much that they don't have any of their powers. Well, that's possible too. That's another. See, that's a yeah. Never mind. I was just going to say that's another really interesting angle. If it, that's the case, yeah, because Bezoids aren't shy. <laughs> you know, yeah, they, that's the truth. They, they they spread it around. There you go. <laughs> well, since everybody's picking two, my runner-up is Tosk. I would love to have more. Oh, Tosk. that's a good one. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well. I want to say thank you to Vandy Beth for sending us a great question. Um, If anybody else would like to uh, pitch us a question, uh, you can reach us at earthstationtrek at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and post it on any one of our posts, or just message us through Facebook and we will get it. We would love to have your question to pitch it to the gang. Hmm. All right. Well, Al, where where can people find more of you on the internet? Um, you can find me at uh, cosmicpress.com, K-O-Z-M-I-C press.com. You can find me on Facebook uh, with any of the Hulanta page or group, or you can look for my YouTube show, uh, my, my YouTube music show, Modern Musicology. We just did a really good episode about the Beatles uh, documentary, Get Back. Uh, that's one of my favorite episodes that we've done so far. So everybody should go take a look at that. It is good. I've watched about half of it. I got oh. there too late. I got there in just in time for you to say good night, everyone. And then, so I was watching it not live. <laughs> All right. How about you, Keith? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and on Facebook, primarily the ESO network groups where I participate fairly regularly. Yes. And how about us, Veronica? Feltnerdy.com. And do you have a closing for us this week? Yeah. I thought about it and it's not related to Star Trek at all, but it came into my head. Pain. Lots of pain. And if anyone knows what that's from. No, no one. No one's an Alan Tudyk fan. Uh, my, we'll see. My oh. first one. Which one? Who? Alan Tudyk. Which, what, what movie was that from? Alan, I'm Alan Tudyk. Night Quest. Is that what it's called? <laughs> Night's Tale. Yes. <laughs> it's funny when you said pain. That's when he threatens Paul Bettany. Uh, when you said pain, I thought Devil in the Dark when Spark blended with Horta and he right, started yeah. yelling pain. Yeah, that would be a Star Trek reference. I thought in Encounter at Farpoint, pain. Oh, gosh. Great joy and gratitude. <laughs> See, it ended up being a Star Trek reference. It all works out in the end. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon 
or by shopping for the Tea Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.